0: This is Kerry Uridine, and you're listening to Normandy FM Cyberpunk 2077 Retrospective. Message coming.
1: Welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful, fully curricular episode of Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven Normandy FM edition. That's right, we're flipping around now, Ken. We're just renaming the show. I just mm. decided we're, we're we're now called Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven <laughs> Night City FM. Uh huh. Ooh. Ah. If only we could like effectively change names without completely destroying any brand <laughs> reputation mm-hmm. we've created in the process. Uh. I, of course, one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, joined by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you feeling today?
2: Um, okay, I'm vibing. Ready to talk about this very complicated section of the game for me, a person who does not want to romance Pan Am, even though the game really <laughs> wants me to.
1: <laughs> even though the game is just putting Pan Am front and center. Yes, this is the Pan Am side quest episode we were talking all about the nomads about pan am specifically and honestly a pretty pretty interesting side quest track and, and to help us pick apart all the nuances and details we have the one the only julie Muncie. how you doing today julie
0: i am doing well i am also feeling complicated as mm. someone who dearly wants to romance <laughs> pan am but the game <laughs> will not let me
2: what is Normandy fm if not a series of contrasts
0: exactly i'm glad to be here hello
1: what is normandy fm if not a series of people coming on saying this game will not let me romance the characters i would like to romance (laughs) this is not the last time we will have a guest on uh on this show talking about that either i think uh our guest for the river episode in particular Mm. also ran into (laughs) similar problems we'll probably uh dissect some of that today before we get into that Julie, for the folks at home, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, also kind of what got you into cyberpunk in the first place. I mean, I, I personally know the answer to part of that question, but um, I'm curious as to what your history has been with cyberpunk uh, since those, those USG days.
0: Yeah, um, I am Julie Muncy. Uh, I was a critic and a journalist for a long time. In um, past couple of years, I've been doing consulting stuff. Uh, yeah, I initially played cyberpunk on the PlayStation 4 f- mm. for U.S. Gamer's mm-hmm. review. I believe the last review ever published on U.S. Gamer, which is a weird sort of accolade to have mm-hmm. in your back pocket. But um, yeah, so I played that. It was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I just, you know, I, I was interested in revisiting it, remembering sort of things that were kind of interesting in the middle of all of the disaster that was that game at launch on the console. Um, And so I was interested in in revisiting it and, you know, y'all reached out and I'm like, this is a perfect time. So I played it and, you know, I'm a big fan of Keanu Reeves. So that Mm -hmm. makes the game at least okay in my book. Um, (laughs) And yeah. It's, uh,
1: It's such a weird game. I remember playing it back at launch and just being like even I mean I guess this might be a good time to talk about the review process of of cyberpunk because I can I can't remember we did how much did we touch on it back in our first episode when we Um, we kind of
2: groundwork out we kind of talked about you know that there was some uh we'll call it fuckery uh around you know how this game was rolled out to press and Mm -hmm. that became like a larger conversation as as it pertained to like embargoes and also Mm -hmm. the things that Mm -hmm. developers give to reviewers uh ahead of time, and how some, some companies might deliberately obfuscate things or just, you know, n- not be as forthcoming with uh, you know, certain codes for certain consoles or certain mm-hmm. systems, whatever. But uh, I don't think we really got too much into the specifics of what was going on with Cyberpunk.
1: I, I think it's, like, interesting to note that, like, at the time, uh, it was very much a situation of, like, PC code, was going out at a certain time, and then console code was going out much later. Um, yeah. Much, much closer to release, as as many will infamously remember, a lot of the release day reviews, or embargo day reviews, I should say, of Cyberpunk uh, were PC ones. And so you did have a lot of people coming out of it with positive impressions, because having played the pc version at launch myself like that that was a functional game it definitely had some weirdness i mean weirdness that still persists to this day even with patches and stuff i during i can't remember if it was during this playthrough or during the last one last episode um i fell through the earth again and i was like oh right this used to be a thing that happened like more frequently in cyberpunk but i guess it can still happen sometimes um but yeah it was a whole thing about getting that playstation code in uh and and getting that review in, and uh yeah it's it it is a weird thing if i don't ever want to intentionally attribute malice to something but there was a feeling of like oh they're much more willing to let people get some hands on with the pc version of this game versus the console version and that feeling of like this this console version was being worked on and and fuddled with and then held back until like the absolute last second they could have possibly gotten it out to us absolutely
0: like the way it usually works you know even with really good games that don't have any problems or production difficulties is there mm-hmm. will be you know waves of code that go out mm-hmm. so sort yeah. of the outlets that the company considers, you know, A tier, B tier, C tier, whatever, based on their marketing needs. Um, but typically, that difference is not quite so stark as right. it was for Cyberpunk. Right. Where, right. The, um, the, 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 where there were certain outlets that got PC code fairly early. Like, I think US Gamer got, like, PS4 code basically at launch.
1: Yeah, we had that um, to you, like, right before launch.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that is unusual for a game of this scale. It happens more frequently in smaller games or games where the press just isn't considered all that important, Um, but it was weird. And, like, again, I agree with you. Don't want to attribute Malice. The more benign answer is probably, yeah, that they were tinkering with it until they absolutely positively could not tinker with it anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was still a mess.
1: Yeah. It was such a mess. mm -hmm. It had that feeling of of they were probably just trying to have as much possible time with that and I I think another recent case as of the time of this recording is that like Digimon Survive didn't have code going out until I think there were some places that eventually got code on launch day Mm -hmm. but you know Tom Marks from IGN and some other folks were out there saying like hey uh, (laughs) it was the day before this game launched I think the game was already out in Japan and Uh, we don't have code yet and that can be an indicator of a lot of things but I think in terms of cyberpunk and the reason why I brought it up is because this is a game that um, was being tinkered with at the beginning and to some effect is still a game that is having weirdness to this day and I mean we I ran into some of it during this episode. Um, definitely like I remember the Pan Am sections of this game for some reason having a few more issues than everything else because uh I remember one mission specifically where you were supposed to ride along with Pan Am in the truck and she kept falling out of the truck and just like getting hitched on something and the car would keep driving with me in the passenger seat, but Pan Am would just be gone. <laughs> like, just hmm. disappear and it would break the mission. Um, I want to make sure we brought that up, uh, as part of our cyberpunk discussion. But, uh, we are here to talk about Pan Am, after all. We're here to talk about the Nomads. Let's get into it. Um, we start off with Riders on the Storm, where Pan Am calls us panicking about something. Saul has been kidnapped, and, uh, Pan Am wants to recruit our help, uh, bring us into the Nomad camp and and, and get some, some backup. Um, we kind of, you know, ask about, you know, what's happening? Are you back with the Aldecaldos? Um, you know, have you officially rejoined? And there's kind of some some levels of, you know, there's still some stuff going on, but, you know, family's family, and yeah. we can't just let that stuff go by the wayside. Um, the Wraiths, which I think are, is the same Nomad crew that uh, the guy from the last mission ran with, from the Pan Am thing, the, the guy that stole her stuff and all that I, I think understand that
2: the, they're like a subset of the wraith yeah yeah um
1: it's another basically another clan took uh saul he, he went out on patrol never came back um and so we have this mission where we're going to kind of infiltrate this camp uh and try to extricate saul as best we can uh, we meet up with the group and we get the kind of low down um, and and we, we get an option to say like, hey, do you wanna mm-hmm. do you wanna go in guns blazing or you wanna go stealthy? And obviously Ken here is like stealth, stealth mm-hmm. all day. <laughs> Julie, what kind of character did you run when you played Cyberpunk? I'm curious.
0: Yeah, um I ended up gravitating toward a fairly um sneaky and mm-hmm. quick hacking heavy character just because it felt felt like the most distinctive and fun way to play the game. When I had to fight, I relied on guns. I wasn't really a big melee person. And Mm. Yes, so in these conversations, I always also chose stealth. I have this really bad habit. If a game provides me a stealth option, no matter how bad the stealth option is, I will Mm. go for it like, Aggressively, Like, I try to stealth Halo missions and stuff <laughs> because my brain is broken that way. So, okay. yeah, absolutely, I went all in on the sneaky stuff.
1: Um, yeah, I feel like I've been going more and more that way, too. Although, this mission in particular, um, I really feel like my character build came into its own because I've been trying to do a quick hack type character, but I just did not have the equipment i needed to make that happen and so before we started this series of missions uh i went over to pacifica because that is one of the better places to get kind of your your mid-game quick hacks and all that um and dumped a ton of money on getting some decent quick hacks in my arsenal so i got uh like a poison cloud one that like infects someone with with toxin I got one that like overheats somebody's sensors and and basically burns them and fries them. I got a better short circuit um, and some other like utility based ones. Um, for some reason, I don't know how I'd gotten rid of my ping function. So mm. that explains a lot about some of the difficulties I was having with this game. I was like, where where did ping go? Why do I not have ping anymore? Uh, I thought that was just like a latent thing, but no, that's something you have to have slotted. Uh, and it i'm gonna go ahead and say that the quick hacking does not feel like hacking per se it does not feel like i am doing hacking it feels like i'm just casting a spell i feel like Mm. uh, a techno wizard when i use quick hacks but absolutely it is also really fun to I, i think one of the cooler things in this game that i wish they'd explored a bit more is using the cameras to uh use quick hacks because as we get into this mission uh it is very like it's a i i promise i'm not using this as like over hyperbole or anything this mission reminds me of deus ex like specifically deus ex human revolution uh the way it's laid out the way there are kind of multiple avenues to get into the base that they kind of like broadcast to you and they're like hey you could go this way or you could go this way and there's like vents and there's stairs and there's all this stuff and you could go loud you could go quiet the characters will comment on what you do it feels very very i mean it almost feels like a vertical slice level in a way i was every time i played i'm like oh this is what i would have showed to press Mm. if i was like trying to display this game at a show um but i also think it's one of the more memorable gameplay missions because of that and it really Mm. because of a section where you get up to the camera controls and take them over it, it felt rewarding to play my character all of a sudden because now because I had snuck in because they were not alerted to my presence and because I took control of the camera room, I was bopping between the cameras just quick hacking everybody and frying mm-hmm. their brains. And I was like, oh, this is
2: kind of cool. Maybe Cyberpunk has something going on here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting like even hearing you talk about how you're, you're finally like specking more into hacks in a way that you hadn't met up to the most of the season. And even so, our play styles still just sound very very different like there's a lot of different kinds of builds that you can make within all the quick hacks that they allow you because like you have the things that you say basically feel like spells to you where I've got stuff that's so much geared to me getting through an area unseen like I can I hack optics I have memory wipe which like if somebody gets into some level of aggro I can just like immediately get them out of that and then they stop looking for me and that was something that was because, like, you know, in, in all the skill trees they have, like, you know, there's some certain skill trees that, that are specifically about your hacking and all the other quick hacks that you have. But even within those, there are separate, separate builds that you can go through. And it's frustrating because, like, we, we talked about in the last episode, it feels like the game does not do a great job of really helping you contextualize just how different a hacking build can be than another. And you have to kind of go looking for Like, you had, you know... Dump a bunch of money in Pacifica. like you're not necessarily finding a lot of these things oh, through yeah, progression. No, I wasn't finding
1: anything on the ground or in like chests or anything. Most of the stuff the game was giving me through drops were like guns, and that was it. Yeah. I was just getting a lot of guns.
2: So like you know, for all for all the depth that it has, it does a really poor job, I think, in terms of the entire game of really directing you to these things and helping you understand how a lot of these uh, different skills that you're going to unlock are actually going to be effective. And a lot of the you know the best stuff is you know you have to go through a lot of more benign stuff to get to the better things. Uh-huh. Like, a lot of even, you know, the stealth-related uh, skill trees, like, there's a lot of, like, stuff about, like knife throwing and poison, neither of which I really use, so I had to go through a lot of things that I wasn't actually going to utilize to get to the stuff that I actually wanted at the end of the skill tree.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. I, um, I ended up, you know, kind of specking out and playing these as sort of a techno wizard Sam Fisher, mm-hmm. where I would um, use quick hacks to isolate people and then eliminate them Mm. with Uh like takedowns and stuff and that is also a a very distinct play style and and also I was really interested in unlocking more sort of options to move through stages so I went on a whole personal crusade to find er, and earn enough money to unlock the double jump ability Mm. which um opens up so much more of the game but mm-hmm. there is absolutely nothing pushing you toward it. I think on my first review playthrough where I had to just sprint through um, I was like late in the game and happened to visit a, a ripper doc shop and I'm like there's a double jump. Mm-hmm. This whole time I could have been jumping everywhere.
2: Right.
0: Like it's yeah there, there are a lot of really interesting build options that the game nearly hides from you right. and mm-hmm. this in mm-hmm. mission like this really sings if you know that they exist and use them but if not you know i imagine it can i don't we didn't have this experience but i imagine a lot of people did have an experience where they played it you know like thief or like you know call of duty mm. and both of those are not nearly as interesting as what cyberpunk could offer and can offer if you know where to look
1: Right. I, I have done the version of this mission where you kind of just shoot your way through and it feels like so it feels so bad because number one, you're engaging with shooting that again, most of the time does not feel great. Like there are we're also at the point now where there's there are guns that are available that feel a bit more cyberpunk-y and feel very specific to the feel of cyberpunk that i'm like okay you know the smart pistol the smart shotgun i'm really digging all the smart weapons in this game um that stuff feels like very part of what a cyberpunk future like arsenal should look like and and less of you know oh here's just a pistol glocks still effective in the future (laughs) or like um but you end up doing this whole fight and then kind of walking through the second half of the level and being like oh wow this was really laid out in a way that i could have like done this more interestingly and and rebooted it that was the first time i i did this level um back when i first played the game was i did a whole just i got caught and just went run and gun the whole time and uh was so disappointed with how much of that level I didn't engage with, I just reloaded and like made myself stealth all of it because I wanted to see that stuff. Um, and there are even parts of this level that feel like they reward interesting things because as Ken you note, know, you have a fence that you can open using technical ability. And normally, the breaking walls, breaking new entrances, is a body thing but this one very specifically is like oh if you have high mechanical ability you can open this stuff and you can uh say like you know i i imagine it's like pulling a wire or you know hot wiring a connection to force open a gate or something like that and something that would not be reasonable to do in a stealth situation but would be um useful uh otherwise and I, I just feel a lot of this this mission is honestly like some of the best mm-hmm. gameplay that uh, Cyberpunk has to offer, and it feels weird to say that because it is basically just a mission from Deus Ex: Human Revolution, <laughs> but mm. um, it it really does seem to almost capture what this game was trying to go for was that mix of gta and immersive sim and rpg all fused together into one like homogenous pile of game and uh it feels really good i even say it feels really good just getting out and hopping in the van and and hightailing it out of there it it feels like a really rewarding little thing Mm -hmm. um yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a cool yeah. mission. I don't
2: feel like there's more to say about it. But... I mean, I think it's it succeeds in that it, it feels one of the most accommodating moments in the game for any kind of V that you might be running. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just like last episode when we had that mission with Pan Am where she wants to go get revenge on the people that screwed her over, like, that very deliberately removes options from you for no real reason. I mean, like, you, like, you think there would be some option for you to even say something to her, be like, hey, can we go in quiet because that's how I fight? where it just didn't give you that option where this mission feels like there's both like a lot of options for you to get through in whatever way you might be built for. And also actively rewards you in the end by, because once once we get to Saul and once we get out and we drive away, if you've gone through the entire thing and not been seen by this point, you get get out quietly and you just drive away. If you're Mm -hmm. being chased out, then there's an entire shootout where they're driving and you have to shoot from the back of the van and just like, little like nuances that it has that it's acknowledging that people play this game differently or might play this game differently
0: yeah absolutely and like it is a mission that sort of is able to adaptively create drama based Mm -hmm. on what you do like Mm -hmm. if you sneak out quietly that's exciting if you're spotted and like make a run for the van while having a gunfight that's also extremely exciting and it Mm -hmm. rewards sort of playing it in a character-based way where you're not going to take the time to kill every enemy because it's really interesting and fun mm-hmm. to just run for the van and like that's a level of spectacle that cyberpunk doesn't succeed at all that often mm-hmm. but you can tell is constantly trying to right uh-huh.
1: so we super jet Saul we get him back on his feet we get out of the the base one way or another and uh there's a storm closing in which sadly again i didn't see because the game was foggy outside i that's multiple times that this has happened to me in this playthrough where the game's like look at that view and it's fog mm. <laughs> and i'm getting really annoyed by it <laughs> uh but uh we we head on the way back uh, to this shack that we're gonna shack up in for the night um a little small hut to take uh refuge from the storm and uh we get the power online which pan am pan am look you're not being helpful the way you're just kind of kicking your feet up and being like i don't know if you go check outside <laughs> <laughs> it's like not even volunteering just volunteering you for the activity of going outside and getting dust everywhere um but we, we get everything working and back online. We get the heater on, we get some alcohol. Um and Saul, of course, starts to get a little frustrated. You know, Pan Am's all happy go lucky, the, the operation was a success, everything's going great. And Saul is just pissed off because Saul is never not uh pissed off. And um they they end up just having a back and forth about the state of the Aldecaldos and and the way that Saul wants to run them versus how Pan Am wants to run them and the, the lecturing and the, and all that. And the Saul even says like, Hey, Pan Am, if you want to come back to the Aldecaldos, you can, but there will have to be changes. You can't be reckless. Um, and, uh, he even notes that like your the recklessness that she exhibits just saved his bacon, but he's Uh. still like, Oh, but you can't, you can't be like that. Um, i'm i'm just gonna like say this now i don't know that saul's character ever feels very fleshed out enough for me Mm -hmm. um like we do get an air of oh pan am's reckless pan am causes problems by rushing into things too fast and i feel like you do see some of that in the the main story quest mission that you do with her with uh where scorpion dies Mm -hmm. and uh and you kind of see that oh you know pan am just shoots the thing out of the sky and rushes in there but baby did not anticipate but even then it's like framed as like oh but pan am can't be at fault how would she know that there would be aldecaldos nearby um it really just feels like we're being told all all the time about how saul thinks this way is good and and wants to work with biotechnica and wants to help corpos to to get to to garner favor with them and all that Uh, because the Raffenshiv and some of the the other clans are looking to possibly start a war. And, um, you know, it's... I don't know. He just feels like he he is whatever the opposition to Pan Am needs to be at the time. Um, How do you feel about Saul, Ken?
2: Yeah, I I agree. Like, it does feel... Like there are there are conversations that they have, like they have this argument in front of us right here, where it doesn't feel like he actually gets around to making the point that he wants to make. He's just like, okay, there's this war coming, and I have considered the option of working with corpos, and I did not stop to really think of much else. And Uh you know, there's an opportunity for us to intervene because Pan Am lovingly calls calls for our help and is like, hey, tell him that I'm right that we can't just you know give up our principles because we think that things might get hard very soon. Um, which I actually ended up saying, like, don't drag me into this, because I, I, at that point, still did not feel like I had a great grasp of the situation. But it does feel like a lot of, other than that one situation, especially, like, even as we're going forward through these other missions, other than that conversation, that's the only time we actually see Saul and Pan Am have a real conversation with each other. Because a lot of the other times, they're arguing, but, like, it's more just, like, on principles more than it is in terms of actual substantial reasonings and specifics as to what what... Each other want to do all the conversations about what they want to do happen between pan am and V more so than it does with all three of them in the room hearing each other out and tr- actually like talking about what the best possible solution is because even you know with like in the judy episode we talked about how like you know there are different permutations in that situation in terms of like whether we're going to go along with judy or we're, whether we're going to go along with a third party who has another idea where the entire pan am quest line it feels like there's not really much of a branching path in terms of how anything is handled. Pan Am just is right, the mm. game says so, and we don't really interrogate that much beyond talking about her recklessness. More so like, you know, it's more about her methods more than it is her intent.
1: Yeah. I don't know. how do you feel about Saul as a character,
0: Julie? I I wanna like him, but I do end up agreeing with y'all. Just his his viewpoint of the world and his like understanding of what needs to be done and how to lead the altacados um never really coheres into mm-hmm. something that makes sense especially because at this point in the game you know depending on your choices it's already become so clear that that cooperating with with corporations gets you nowhere right. and just ends up putting you under their heel um that it really, you know, makes Saul look like a patsy. It, uh, like, yeah, th- yeah, there is not a context where Saul's, you know, choices feel credible or like a possible path. And the other thing is that Pan Am might be reckless, but, you know, because she's on the side of the player character, mm-hmm. she is more or less always right. right. Um, like, sh- sh- she gives the impression of someone who like, is very impulsive and decisive, but is also good enough at what she does and smart enough that she can get away with it. Um, And so that doesn't really necessarily lend any credibility to Saul's view of her. Mm. So it, yeah, yeah, at no point feels like there are two competing understandings of Pan Am and the Alto going on. There's like, there's Pan Am and then there's a really half-formed one yeah. from Saul, and it just isn't. There's never a point where you where you have really grounds to say, "Oh, Saul's right," because his position is never fleshed out enough mm-hmm. for him to even have the chance to be
2: right.
1: Yeah, you, you're you're just kind of given like conflict because, like, narratively we understand there should be conflict in this moment, but it does not feel like there is enough of a reasoned conflict happening here to actually be compelling in any way and i end up sitting here just being like oh my god just shut up (laughs) and uh i do like that there's a corpo option that you can tell saul like hey i am a corpo i know that these people will use you and dump you like they've done this before i have seen this before (laughs) um i've been on the other side of that table um either way saul just gets mad and huffs off to go get some sleep and he's like fuck off and and all that (laughs) um and he does he does make a joke about haboobs which as as a former resident of lubbock texas uh i do appreciate a good haboob joke every once in a while um (laughs) one of the few places you actually see those in in the u.s um either way we can toast to haboobs or or whatever and then we just kind of hang out and chat with Pan Am for a while. And this is what starts as a really fun conversation that quickly highlights a major problem mm-hmm. with this game's romance system. <laughs> um, I really love how it starts out with Pan Am joking about turning this place into a, a motel and, and having a receptionist and stuff. And you start doing voices back and forth pretending to be the receptionist and being like, how is your stay and stuff like that. And and at one point you can even joke that like, oh, you should take your boots off, put your feet up or whatever, and Pan Am like literally mm-hmm. puts her feet on V. Um It's and, cute. And Yeah, it's cute. And like I have I have definitely been in like platonic situations where this is not like an issue whatsoever. And mm-hmm. it, it is like I think when games do often struggle with the concept of like physical intimacy, but also physical intimacy that is not just slapping the two Barbie dolls together. Um, (laughs) uh, how did they do it style? Um, but the, the idea that like human beings can express intimacy in multiple ways. And Pan Am is very clearly like a physical intimacy type of person. Um, and you, you are like as a character growing closer to this person, but then you run face first into the wall of this game's romance options, Mm. which I, I'm trying to remember all the options here. You can kind of be like, um, Oh, I I think I'm ready to turn in. Mm -hmm. Um, you can completely like, just be like, you're getting weird Pan Am or whatever. Um, and then I think like
2: that was, I think the,
1: yeah, well, I had an option to like, Put hand on thigh that Mm -hmm. did not have the romance icon next to it. I'm assuming you had that option, Ken, but because you were playing a male V, it had a romance icon next to it.
2: No, it was just, it was the same. Oh, it It, it
1: was just there. Okay. Mm. Um, I do not know what happens if you use that as female V because I was, I was being the same thing that happens with male V. Oh, yeah. That's
2: that's the weird thing. Is like the, yeah, it's weird. The systems. Of this game, and also like what the actual end goal that it allows you to reach, does not start to really acknowledge itself until later. Because here, but you, you know, do
1: have to do that here if you want to romance Pan Am, right?
2: I don't I think, think so because key. I got proposition later when I did not touch her thigh. I I think if I
1: remember right, because I romance Pan Am in my first playthrough of the game, and I. Th- I remember somebody saying something about like, you have to do that option here if you want to romance, or at least you have to like, not quote unquote, like reject her in this moment. Right. Um, And, yeah. and there is kind of like a, a moving it forward, a like kind of neutral, still playing along option. And then like a full on rejection option here. Um, But yeah, I, no, no matter what, this is not a romance scene. It does just like rapidly, Branch into one for a hot second where it's like it's almost like that Evelyn Parker thing we talked about in in that one mission where it's like oh here's an option and it's like a rapid escalation of a thing that you did not expect in this moment and and I don't know there's something weird about the way it it suddenly twists this one moment and then reminds you that oh right this is how this game operates and uses romance and stuff like that Mm. Uh, yeah, for, yeah.
2: for me, my, I struggled with it, like, it fall, It has three choices in front of you, but it's still in, you know, the back-end systems of the game, recognizing it in a binary of, like, are you romancing her or are you not? And mm-hmm. when there's that third option where you're not progressing things forward, but you're not also being like, what are you doing? Like, why are you putting your legs up on me? Like, you're getting way too comfortable. Like, you know, because, like, the normal thing for me is just be like, okay, this, this is fun, this is, this is cute, I'm, I'm going to bed now. And the only way for me to get the game to understand I'm not trying to romance her is for me to actively, like, push her away, basically, and be like, don't put your fucking feet on me. And, like, it's completely, like, that was, and we talked about this in the Judy episode, like, there was just this really nice thing about that friendship being that, like, because we were both gay and I never picked a romance option, that Uh friendship just, like, felt so natural and so, like, never having to, like, tiptoe around systems of this game, and I felt like just collectively I had, like, a better relationship with Judy because I never had to like get the game off of that track, like to understand that like this is not my intention, right, right, and right. where now like the only way for me to get the game to understand that is for me to just like be very dismissive and frankly mean to Pan Am for no real reason, and you know that was something yeah. we talked about in like the Jade Empire season as well, which was, like that game didn't did not understand that like there was a a, a middle ground between being addicted to somebody and wanting to be in a relationship with them, and that there is just like being friendly right. to somebody. Without like any ulterior motive, and it sucked because like I I really like this scene, and I think like you know in a vacuum I think I still do because like I, I did just say like okay I'm gonna go to bed and we both just, you know peacefully went to sleep, but because I know that it's by me not telling her to get off of me that is flagging some level of interest in the game to the point where I'm going to have to deal with this again later, it, it kind of like puts a you know puts a little cloud over this scene that otherwise I, th- I think is really great.
0: Yeah, and it's it's weird. It was, as someone who played a chaotic bisexual femme V, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was you know at, I was interested in Pan Am. And on my first playthrough, you know, I didn't know that you couldn't romance Pan Am. And it's confusing because, because Pan Am's voice actress plays it flirtatiously, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. makes mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. because it, it, these are the same lines for both roles. But also, Jeremy Lee plays it flirtatiously. Mm-hmm. And that is confusing to me because it's like all of the context of the scene and how it's framed and acted it feels like there is an attraction there and then if you are the lesbian V and you make a move you you get the same scene where Pam's like no let's let's not make this weird tonight but then there's never any follow up because there is no flag there is, you know... And it's... Yeah, it's... The whole thing with romance in Pan Am is so weird because it feels like there's a version of this game where Pan Am is Yennefer, you know? Mm-hmm. Where, like, uh-huh. she is the singular primary canonical romance option or one of a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, but because she is that twined in the story, and, and, like, a lot of the way you end up interacting with her in, like, the, the ending that um, emphasizes her feels like, you know, she does stuff for you that I wouldn't necessarily do for my friends, right. hmm. but would do for, like, a partner. And, like, it just, it feels like the shape of the game doesn't really support the romance option system broadly, right. especially when it comes to the writing of characters like Pan Am, who seems so integral to the story, despite also being sequestered in a way to that system.
2: Right. It, it plays into a couple of things, cause like, and it's something that I have in my, in my notes for the next next episode about River, is that like I feel like a lot of games that have romance systems struggle to find ways to differentiate the writing and the tone of scenes for different versions of a player character that might not be able to romance the character. I think, like, you know, this is... I, I, it, it most rears its head with Pan Am, but there's a scene in River's stuff where I was playing Smilvy where it very much seemed like uh, a, his sister was implying that River had feelings for me. And that's just because, like, it's the same dialogue that they never really, like... They don't right. go out of the way to, like, do a certain So Like, a different version of the conversation happens if you depending on what version of the character you're playing. And... It is weird, because with Pan Am specifically, because like like you said, there is there is very specifically an ending that centers her in a way that I don't think any of the other romances get. And, you know, it's it's sort of like, we talked about this in the Mass Effect season as well, like Liara is a romance that has a level of, like, production value and spotlight that not everything gets. And so it feels like the game is, like, trying to nudge you in that direction. And I, I as a person that, like, obviously was not going for a character like Liara... Or Pan Am, I, was, I always have, like, a weird, like, resentment towards games that do that, because it feels like, you have given me options to, like, you know, express a different, like, identity in this game, but, like, but you're still kind of, like, catering most to, like, a very specific type of person, um, and, yeah, I, I think Cyberpunk, it, and this is gonna go, in, like, it it has a very rigid understanding of a lot of, like, sexuality and, you know, romance in general, and I think it just, it rears its head in different ways, for each romance, but I think the Panem one is the one where it feels like the game never quite reconciles the idea that it is, you know, locking off this romance from one, from one version of V, but still kind of like broadly portraying her as very important to V, regardless.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there, there's just a level of like almost arbitrariness to the romance selections in this game that I just keep coming back to. That like, I completely agree about the Jenniferness of. Pan Am, in the situation that, like, this character is intrinsically tied to not just the story, but like a full on ending, and the idea that it is locked out, depending on a choice, does not really feel like it's stated anywhere in explicit enough terms, from what I've seen, Mm -hmm. and then also, like, the voice lines because they are unified. Ends up feeling like you're just kind of getting dumped out a trapdoor if you are somebody who is not going in with knowledge of who is romanceable in this game and is reading up some pretty blatant signs mm-hmm. <laughs> from, from Pan Am. And uh you you end up getting a lot of the same as male v and then just never get that last like, like like a flag is a really good way of saying it it's like like one thing does one switch does not flip and that's it that's you just never get that and i i would say that like there are definitely two romance options in this game being Am and carrie that feel more intrinsically linked to the actual events of the game than than river and judy necessarily do mm. um but I, it, it's just something I always come back to that it does feel like this, like someone looked at the romance options and was like, "Well, we've got this like Punnett square of potential V's that that people can play, and we will allocate the romances accordingly, one yeah. for each." And it, I can't believe that like Dragon Age Inquisition is the game I keep going back to, but it is the one where like romance in that game at least feels a bit more intentional and feels a bit Mm -hmm. more like they were crafted to be about the specific character and the specific situation and and who your character is and in some ways like with um solace like really ties into like the fact that you are a female elf and and like you are dealing with actual things about that and there were even options for some of the other characters depending on who you were romancing that you can kind of confront some things about that and i it, it's just something that i am really surprised that cyberpunk misses considering how interested it is in having this like living world and game that reacts to who you are and what you do and, and your choices and things like that like your your life path is is a is supposed to be this big thing, but then, like, like the pun at Square is what I keep coming back to. Mm-hmm. It's like, which V did you make? This is who you get to romance. And right. it's it's a bummer. It's just a significant bummer, and and I don't know that I've seen as bummer of a romance system since we did, like, the first Mass Effect, yep. you know?
2: <laughs> and I think it just, you know, before we move on, like, I think we talked about this when David was on. There was, like, it does feel like whether intentionally or just by happenstance, it feels like there are specific combinations of relationships, life path, and endings that feel like they are actually rewarded in this game, where some of, like, you know, depending on things that you might just trip into, you might get a very, like, a substantially less rewarding and satisfying conclusion to this game just because it doesn't feel like the game is made to accommodate for all those different options. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and just, you know, one more thing about this Mm -hmm. is that it's, like, in no way should, you know, you have a right to romance whoever you want if it doesn't match with the game's narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, one shouldn't feel, like, entitled to that. But yeah. it, it, the way it's framed here clashes so substantially with the way, um, you know, the game wants to imagine sexuality. Mm. It simultaneously wants to portray a very fluid sexual... Right. World, but also has such a conservative view of binary sexualities, like, to the point where the idea of being straight or gay is never even mentioned, like, really? Um, mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Well, the idea of binary sexualities both doesn't exist and is so deeply ingrained right. into the world as not being worth mentioning. And it's just strange. And it, and it really comes to a head with things like getting the unexpected experience of being led on by a straight girl as a lesbian, (laughs) If if you're interested in Pan Am, like that's weird, unexpected accidental representation. And like, it's, it's just bizarre.
2: Right.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah. Again, it just feels
1: if there was some deeper narrative tie to like link some of this in, I, you know, I'd be willing to like look at that, but it does just feel almost like again like like they were looking at a list of features on a whiteboard they were like how many romances do we have four how many v's can we make well with our system four okay cool <laughs> it's one for each drop them in the buckets yeah. um yeah it's it's bizarre and i'm sure we're going to talk more about that when we get to carrie as well because carrie has some stuff around that as well but um We'll, we'll talk about that when we get to that episode for now um pan am thanks us for coming on the rescue mission uh as i i do actually really like that if you've kind of played up the whole hotel thing up to a certain point as as pan am like heads off to go to sleep or kind of drifts off to go to sleep i should say um uh, Keanu Reeves has one of his best line reads in the game here doing like the, we thank you on behalf of the whatever motel. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do like that in these missions compared to the Judy ones where he was just constantly a thorn in your side and Mm -hmm. would not shut up like here, he's like playing into the fun of it. And like, just kind of there as like a fun side character making little comments and stuff. And I'm like, Huh? They, they could have done more of this, and I would have liked this character a little bit more. Uh, I don't know yeah, why, like, like, here he's this way, and others, he's not this way.
2: <laughs> like I've been, okay. like I said last time, I played ahead a fair bit, and, you know, we get into the stuff about, like, what is the actual, like, how is the game going to recognize V and Johnny's relationship by the end? When it gets to that shit, it, does, it feels like they needed more moments like this where Johnny was just, like, a normal fucking friend to you in mm-hmm. the midst of all this mm-hmm. shit, because, like, you know, every time that we talk to him, he's either being real shitty and mean for no real reason, or he's, you know, on his on his soapbox about all his various uh, things that he, you know, his various beliefs about, you know, Night City and corporations, etc., where I, it felt like there were just, like, too few moments like this where it's just, like, it felt like he was, you know, in on the banter with me and all my friends and felt like he, like, you know, he not necessarily wanted to be there, but just, like, was content with the company as opposed to, you know pissed off about one thing or another
1: if you're gonna have keanu reeves in your game and you're not gonna like have these little snarky aside not like snarky but like jokey asides and things like that like what are you doing with all that money like mm-hmm. come on and please use your money your keanu reeves bank account to, to at least make him read fun stuff like this if you're going to also have him be like this angry like joker type popping up all the time too um but we get we get up, Pan Am and Saul are outside, they're they're heading out, and, and Pan Am holds true to her word and gives us uh her sniper rifle, uh the Overwatch. Um one to be real. I was like, Oh yeah, I love sniper rifles, this rules and then I used the scope once and I was like, Wait, this is like a night vision binocular scope and I never touched it again.
2: <laughs> Can you not? Mm, okay. I, I didn't use I... it, but I don't know if like you could switch the mode or something.
1: Yeah, I need to look into if I can switch the mode or something, because every time I used it, it was, like, broad daylight, and it was a night vision scope, and I was like, oh, my God, my eyes.
0: <laughs> it's that archer yeah. bit of my eyes. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. I used it a little bit, but, like, all of the signature guns, it gets underpowered real quick, and mm-hmm. so I'm like, well, you know, Pan Am, I'm not going to sell this because I like you, but I'm not going to use it either. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm baffled that, to my knowledge, at least, not in Judy's apartment, and I there might be a way to do this in V's apartment, but I'm not sure. But like, I would have loved a Skyrim type thing where you can mount weapons on the wall and have yeah, like a collection. in, in, V's, in a V's apartment, you can get that in V's apartment. Mm-hmm. Okay, I need to go back to V's apartment. I've been I've been staying at Judy's apartment, so um, it's yeah that 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 feels like maybe this gun is just for that you put it up it's a really nice looking gun it looks cool so you just put it up it's got stickers on it i kind of like that (laughs) um anyways we 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 hang out a bit you know we have one of those things again where pan am you know we we have to wait a bit for pan am to call us and tell us about how things are going on and the way that cyberpunk just always doles out it's quest chains and bits and pieces and, and breaks them up for artificial reasons, (laughs) um, to, to give the impression of time carrying on. But, um, we, we get kind of, uh, a few tidbits about what this next mission is going to be before we actually launch into it. Uh, and we head over to the, uh, camp. We, we decide that we're going to, to help Pan Am out with something. And, um, Saul's not happy about us being there which is like hey come on dude (laughs) we just save your bacon please um but uh we we get to a meeting basically and and Pan Am and Mitch are really keen on this basilisk that is in a cargo transport that's that's coming down the highway Militech wants to uh send it off somewhere uh, basically send it to as they say like a third world country to fuel some war there and pan am and mitch are like let's hijack it if we get that basilisk we won't be so weak anymore we won't have our leader being kidnapped by other clans and stuff we will be a powerhouse in the wasteland again uh saul meanwhile is not not not, not really like keen on the idea is like no i, I want to work with biotechnica do things for the corpos and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh and and huffs off um so we're gonna have to work with just the nomads just the uh the old the old folks the the vets who uh are more keen on this mission with pan am than than Saul is um yeah i i this is like a time where we actually get to like hang out a little bit with the nomads and get to know some of them. And I do kind of like this mission as just kind of a hangout mission, just kind of a doing, doing stuff with the nomads uh, thing, because we end up going to a, uh, a train station because the big wacky plan that we're going to do is stop a train in front of this convoy and then hijack the basilisk out of it. And uh, we, we do all these little, like just, you know, go to point a find, item put item in slot sort of thing to get this train station up and running but you get to spend a lot of it just talking to the nomads and the vets and learning more about their story and about their background and about them and I I kept thinking about our episode with David where we were talking about how it makes so much more sense for V to be an outsider that if you're a nomad in a lot of these situations it ends up feeling strange because V is fictionally like a part of this culture already and knows a lot of this stuff, but as a Corpo V here, I'm like, I don't know anything about Nomads, about anything, and that's mm. the state I'm in as a player too, and it feels a lot more I guess, fitting for for a situation for me to be in where I want to learn more information. There's not that, like, in narrative, in-universe friction between my character knowing things, but me still wanting to right. like, like learn them.
2: Yeah, it was like what we talked about with Final Fantasy X, it's like, the way that the exposition in that game works is because it frames you as an outsider and allows you right, to ask questions right, right. and kind of, you know, be as inquisitive as you probably are as a player in the game itself and it not feel like there's this friction between the world and what your actual curiosity is. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, and, like, I think that framing and just this scene, I love this scene because um the, the avocados are really the only space in the game that is well sold is like a community mm-hmm. of different people mm-hmm. um, and like you talk to them, some of them think you're great or happy you're here some of them are pissed that you're there and right. think that your bullshit is going to get them all killed and that you're enabling Pam and that this is all a horrible idea and that's a lot of fun because right. there's this sort of you have the this sense of getting to know this group and trying and sometimes failing to ingratiate yourself and that's really interesting especially in the context of like v as a person trying to find a place for themselves as they're dying the whole premise of the game this is one of the only places where you really get the sense of doing that Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. so yeah this is this is great stuff i you know and really fond of this part of the game
2: it's also like a lot better than all the things we were saying about saul where like we don't really get a proper sense of like his views on anything other than he exists to be mad at pan am about stuff like these guys, you're just talking to them and getting, you know, more, you're getting more out of them than you do, like this figurehead in all of Pan Am's story to understand why they feel the way, the way they do about you and what's going on. And, you know, the, like our relationship with Pan Am, like, like I said, like enabling her basically to do, do all these things. And you actually get some, like, real good, like, clash of ideology here that you're just not getting with Saul.
1: hmm. hmm. And I, I do also like the point that. Uh, this is such a marked contrast from Night City and this, this image you actually have in the notes here, Ken um, as I am well as I'm making my brand uh, <laughs> I love a good campfire scene in any RPG I think yeah. it is like the, the perfect setting for just good, good times, good emotions good bonding, good learning good discussion uh, there's, like, if there's a campfire in an RPG it's going to be a good time but uh we do get our campfire scene here in cyberpunk well, and i we, love that what's up
2: i was gonna say before we get to that there is this conversation we have with panam um up when we we're like it, oh, for, yeah. first we have to go looking for like a punch car, a punch card to yeah yeah move the train and stuff but she, we have this conversation where she just kind of like stops and she's like i know this is silly because i did ask you to come here but why are you doing this and you know there are a lot of different options we have in terms of um you know, talking about our reasoning, like, you know, you can uh-huh, be really uh-huh. shitty and be like, well, you're paying me, aren't you? Or, or you can be like, I care about you and then this is important to you. And something that, like, I am... I, I found myself enjoying more about Pan Am than any of, like, the stuff we talked about with Saul and, you know, all her, like, distrust of Saul's ideas for, like, you know, working with a corporation. What I like more is kind of like Pan Am is a person who has left something to go into Night City and is now coming back and kind of, like, dealing with what that city did to her and, like, kind of... You know, because, like, if you're if you're in, like, a community for, like, the majority of your life and you go out, you know, you're going to, you know, see the world differently and you're going to learn things mm-hmm. about, like, things that you might have been shielded from or, you know, kept from in one way. And here she's just... You kind of get the sense, you know, through everything that happened when she was working as a Merc, all the ways that Rogue kind of, like, manipulated her when she was mm-hmm. doing work mm-hmm. where she has stopped trusting people in a way that she probably did before she went to the city. And so I like that we're able to kind of, you know, be a person to her that, like, comes from the city, but, like, kind of proves, like, not everyone that comes from the city is out, to, out for themselves and is only looking out for their best interest or is only interested in money. And it's like, no, like I am Night City Born and Raised, and I'm doing this to help you, my friend. And that was that was just, like, an, a good scene for me. And I think it's, like, kind of, like, my my personal storyline with Pan Am, is mm-hmm. us just kind of like realizing that we both come from these two different places, but we have found a common ground and we do really care about each other in a way that isn't mandated by, you know, the the nomad culture, but also isn't like, uh, you know, tied to what, is it gonna, what am I going to get out of this as a person that comes from Night City? And so I, I like these things here because like, she even acknowledges that like it's silly for her to even be considering this because she did ask for her help, but she has seen people... You know, be very cutthroat in Night City. So it's like she's kind of trying to get back into the headspace where she realizes that she can't trust people again, after she's been so far away from a place where everyone trusted each other to some extent.
0: Yeah, and like what I really like is that that sort of narrative through line is even built into way into the way the spaces are designed here. Like you can see it in you know that picture Eric was referencing in the show notes. Um, like. Ooh. When you're out with nomads, it's one of the only places in the entire game where Night City looks pretty, mm-hmm. um, seen from that distance, from and you distance, get yeah. yeah, and you get that sense of this as a more naive and human place, and then mm-hmm. you know Night City from distance is beautiful, and then you go there and it's horrible, and you come back and it, like this feels like a place where you. Define and redefine your relationship to Night City. Mm-hmm. And that really, really works for V and M. And it's, again, this is one of the be- the smarter sections of the game. And it really... This is... This is Cyberpunk's writing firing
2: at nearly all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really yeah. like when they... Oh, sorry.
0: I was just gonna
1: say that's, that's kind of where I was going with the campfire was that, like, I love the way it frames Night City in the mm-hmm. background. And we talked before about how during a lot of these sections with characters um like judy uh they they love to frame the idea of leaving the city as the the place where you can kind of get away from it and talk about actual things they're not just like the continual like grist mill that is night city mm-hmm. and um it's it, it works so well because you have even this like not just you know visual obvious contrast of like distant technological city that you know is really ugly on the inside versus like what's happening here which is much more small and personal but you even have like it's a campfire it's so physical it's so like not technology driven and I love the idea that they just threw some sticks together and made fire instead of like you know activating a neon heater bot 5000 or something like Mm. that like everything about the nomads is so in tune with what's around them rather than like existing in this uh like techno city future where everything's very removed and everything's like jacked in and and plugged in and all that and i I love the visual contrast this section
2: gives you Mm -hmm. yeah and and i was gonna say like and i brought this up in the gd episode as well where, like, all the, the four, like, companion quests, like, they have one point where they are very intentional in, like, where you're talking to them and where Night City is in the shot. And, mm-hmm. for, like, for, for Judy, when we were, you know, out on the lake, you know, it was very much in the distance. Here with Pan Am, it's in the distance. And with other characters, it's going to be in other places. And it's just going to feel, like, very representative. Like, what is that character's relationship with the city? And kind of, like, as you ponder your future with the city, like, with this person, does, you know, the view, the literal view the game has given you does it jive with your vision of your future? And yeah, this is just like a really good way for them to encapsulate that both in Pan Am and also just the nomads, surely.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As we get to know the nomads a little bit more in this, in this scene, as you know, we, we kind of give Pan Am our, our thoughts on, on the situation and go down and sit down with them and just kind of talk. We also get so much information on who they are. their their like existence as veterans of these corporate wars that, that they used to fight in like there's this interesting like idea of them talking about the basilisk which is a, a weapon of war that they used to all like lock themselves and i think one of them uh jokes about like how uh they they signed up for a war and they just spent weeks at a time in these um iron coffins just like having to consume like gallon after gallon of of different substances to deal with the radiation and all that and you can kind of be like why do you want to get back in the basilisk then like why do you want one of these in the first place and and they're like it's all about having the choice it's all about the fact that we get to make this decision and that's going to help our people in the process and it's not just doing it for some corpo out in the distance who doesn't give a shit about us and there there's so much about this section that i like and i think really sets up what will be you know one of our ending options here with the nomads and um but also just gives v i think the first real option that isn't just stay in the city or run away uh on a whim but it's like here is a different way to live a different way to have community and exist you know in a society uh but but like somewhere else with a group of people that don't necessarily share the values of night city and and have found a way to live harmoniously not without conflict but certainly like living with each other and and thriving in some ways without necessarily indulging in what is just the the testament to corporate greed that is night city um it's it's really nice it's really mm. really nice <laughs> um anyways we, we wake up um we go to sleep first as pan am kind of recounts the stars and tells us about different constellations and things like that um as as we wait for the the time when we're going to intercept the convoy uh and we wake up and, and the relics starting to give us some some problems but we don't worry about it too much right now because uh, we gotta go so we hop in Pan Am's car and and jack into the turret and uh, we we shoot down a couple so so the train speeds off alongside us it's it's a pretty cool scene of having the the train rolling and then all the cars rolling next to it it, it looks pretty cool I dig this section um, and then we stop the convoy and a bunch of drones and soldiers come out we use Pan Am's turret for a while but of course it jams again um, So we got to hop out and and do a little bit of Ken's favorite activity in this video game, which is uh, using Uh. a gun. Uh. (laughs) Um, And these are... I will say that I was surprised at how high a level an enemy it was putting in front of me for this mission. (laughs) Uh. This is pan am's missions seem to always end in shootouts with extremely well-equipped and dangerous enemies <laughs> so maybe saul's on to something here <laughs> um but we eventually take them all out uh and and take control of the convoy and the truck that has the basilisk in it we drive him back to the aldecaldo camp and saul is obviously pretty pissed off uh he's not happy he's like um you know ch- Ah, oh, Burr, I'm Saul. <laughs> it mm-hmm. was like, I'm gonna go talk to Biotechnica, and then we will have a family meeting. Uh, get that thing out of my sight. Like, he's basically like, he doesn't want to get rid of the basilisk, but he's just frustrated and pissed about all of it, so he just storms off. Um, and meanwhile, the veterans just do not care. They're like, sick. Let's go play with our new tank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that that pretty, you know, we get a little it's like a 24 hour wait they like mm-hmm. expressly tell you like wait a day for pan am to like get this all set up and then we can go right back we do get some texts in the meantime uh if you take long enough uh where mitch will like text you pictures of the basilisk and stuff which is kind of fun um really like emphasizes the fact that you are not just getting to know pan am but you're, you're getting mm-hmm. to know everybody at, at the aldecolo camp and i i dig that i think that's nice um and we head back, and the Basilisk is on last minute checks here. It's a giant tank. It's a giant hover tank. It's sick as shit. <laughs> um, and uh, Saul has been kind of brooding and in a mood for a while, but Pandam's like, whatever. I, I don't care. Get in. We're going to test run this tank. Um, and the way this tank works is we kind of take it out for a drive, is that two people have to handle it because you do jack into it, and it. it like operates off of sense kind of like an extension of your body mm. but the the mental load is so much that usually two people pilot it one steers and the other handles the weapons
0: um you have to be drift compatible yes yes mm. you do mm. have to be drift compatible <laughs> to
1: pilot. you gotta be drift tank. compatible um <laughs> so let's talk about it
2: <laughs> what if we what about... if we skipped it instead
1: um, no, can remember we made a rule on this podcast. We have to be holistic and mm-hmm. i I will not have watched this scene for nothing <laughs> multiple times. um uh, so this is when we get our sex scene with Pan Am, and so if if you are a male v who is romancing Pan Am at this point, I should say, um you you kind of link in and Pan Am also links in At this point, you've kind of been doing a very tutorial, like here's how to pilot the tank. And I mean, it controls like a tank would. If you have like driven a hover tank in any video game, you know exactly how this tank handles. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's
2: one of the better handling vehicles in the game. So yeah. Yeah. I I want to take it back to that city.
1: (laughs) Uh, Where was this during the street races? Could have ended that one Corpo dude a lot faster. Um (laughs) but the whole thing about it is like oh you jack in and you can feel each other like you share sensations and things like that you know it's it's that whole like we are sharing my mind melding sort of thing uh and if you are romancing pan am at this point or if you are a male v who's romancing pan am at this point or if you're you a male v like... who
2: or if you're a male v that just happens to be in her proximity <laughs>
1: yeah, if, or if you are ken being held hostage by cd project red in this tank um you can be like yo
2: you want to like fool around with it a bit? queen gets it's, queens in heat like very fast i'm like whoa yeah whoa he, i which whoa yeah.
1: So there's there's an element of, like, okay, you know, two people can suddenly feel each other's sensations. So there is obviously that, like, moment of, like, oh, curiosity or whatever. And at so, on some level, I am, like, why does that not have at least some level of an option for female V as well? It, like, it, if the whole idea is just, like, you can feel the sensations, then theoretically this should be a universal mm-hmm. experience, if one is able to feel stimulus of any kind um but then it turns into like oh let's just like bang in the tank and we like swaps back and forth between povs of like the in-tank cameras and the which are like what's that paranormal activity is that the one with the ghosts and shit? Um, where it's like paranormal activity cameras inside the tank that are watching these two go at it in a way that just looks like insert any like unity ripoff not safe for work steam game in here and then like also jumps into their povs as well just like hopping back and forth and it's it looks I mean it looks awkward and I almost would have been like more on board with it if they had, had braced like the awkwardness of what it was a little bit more and like made it clear that these characters are like having fun and goofing around but it has like this it feels like it was written for the cyberpunk porn parody like that's the mm. level of of what it feels like it feels like it was written for a porn parody it does not have any of that like I don't know, like, like the Judy romance scene had some intimacy to it. It had, like, some level of these characters, like, clearly they they are getting to know each other physically, but they have some level of emotional attachment, and that is, like, important here. I'm sure, Ken, you can probably speak to the Carrie romance scene and, and how that plays out. But, like, there's just a level of just almost detachedness yeah, that was, to this that scene. That was the word I was going to use. Yeah, it feels weirdly detached in a way that was, like... I've not been able to peg down until I was actually, like, thinking about this and, like, having to word it out, but it feels detached in a way that just feels awkward to me. I don't know.
2: Like, when you when you bring up, the, the idea of them, like, handling... The, actually, like, dealing with the awkwardness and, like, the weirdness of it all, that, to me, feels, like, more in line with, like, the romance that has happened up to this point, because, like, so much of, you know, the stuff with Panam at this point has been, like, her, like, tra- like trying to learn to trust... Broadly, people again, but like you very specifically, she's trying to be like, okay, this is a person that comes from this city that I've seen be, you know, what it is, what it's been always described as. And, like, and I've said this multiple times, like, every other sex scene in this game feels catered to the character that it's about. And where mm-hmm. this just does not, like, if you, you know, gave me just the script of the Pan Am relationship to this point, I would never have even conceived of this. Like, it feels like they made the basilisk a thing in service of this scene more than the other things that it's talking about. Because, like, we, <laughs> yeah. we've, uh, we've talked about before, like, everything yeah. that's going on it's... with, you know, the conflict between Pan Am and Saul feels just very kind of, like, conceptual more than it has to do with actual actions. But then the, they bring in this fucking tank, which is supposed to be part of this, but, like, all it, like, all it ends up really serving is this scene. And I just, it, it's frustrating to me because, like, I want Pan Am to have a better romance, but also it's frustrating to me in that, like, I get into this tank thinking that I'm going to just fucking test out this tank, like I was told, and then suddenly my friend is propositioning me, and I'm just like, "No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I didn't know that's what this. I didn't know what I was getting into." And (laughs) yeah, it's just it, it it frustrates me because like I like I said, like the Judy relationship as a friendship, just like you don't get into these weird speed bumps, and then like very suddenly this thing is jarring for the character it's about, and it's also jarring for the relationship that I've been. Making choices towards at this point just gets dropped on me, and I'm just like, I, I fucking hate it.
0: Yeah, it. I mean, it very much feels like, "Oops, we have to share a bed." Mm-hmm, Cyberpunk mm-hmm. edition. Oh like, god, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's
0: very fanficky, and like to be fair, I will go on the record as saying, even though some are more tonally appropriate, I think all the sex scenes in this game are awful. <laughs> I think, um, very much. It, the, the feeling I got is almost as if they feel like, from a design perspective, they built themselves into a corner with every sex scene, and then, then they're like, oh God, oh no, we have to actually stage this. And that's sort of how it feels to me watching them. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, yes, um, <laughs> it is something. It does have the virtue of being the only sex scene in the game that is at all cyberpunk in any way yep. yeah. but it doesn't handle that well Mm-mm. it's it's a thin, it's like i want t- to like it on a conceptual level just because i think the concept is kind of fun mm-hmm. but like every sex scene in the game it is a mess it is a mess if they had had more fun
1: with it, I think it could have yeah. been something. If they were like accidentally bumping some of the controls and
0: stuff like that and laughing about if it, they, like now right, you got blew some personality, something through. up, you know. Yeah. There That would be that would be that would be funny. It would be deliberately cheesy and yes, that would work.
1: It would work. Like I think about all the times like like you know, looking back to The Witcher 3, which I feel like is the best comparison because it is another cd project red game but that has a bunch of goofy ass sex scenes in like not even just in the witcher 3 the witcher 2 has some as well where it's like they embrace the the funniness of the situations that some of these characters are in the witcher 3 has geralt and a witch like banging in a boat in the middle of the lake and like you see the boat rocking and stuff like that it's like they they have some fun with some of this stuff and i'm just like where did any of that go when when they were doing stuff like this it feels so removed and and yeah I it, it's also kind of comical like the one comical part is suddenly you start hearing explosions and stuff and a naked V and a naked Pam suddenly scram pan Am uh suddenly scramble because they they're like oh my god we're under attack and like that could have been funny as well is is like embrace that a little bit and so you know, no matter whether you're doing that. Also, timeline wise, it's a bit weird because no matter what you choose here, um, it you do have the moment where all of a sudden people are attacking the tank. And we're I guess we're led to understand that if you are male V with Pan Am the wraiths are just like holding off for a little bit longer for them to just have a little bit of goofy fun because it happens right away. Otherwise, if you are not romancing panic, they're like, Oh,
2: let's give them this one.
1: (laughs) They see like the, the tanks are rocking. Don't come knocking, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, anyways, it, it now a bunch of enemies show up and you get to actually use the tank things who could have known that the tutorial section teaching you how to shoot the guns on the tank would then eventually lead to you shooting guns on said tank um and what is like honestly just bowing down a bunch of enemies Mm -hmm. pretty unceremoniously um it's kind of goofy how they try to be like oh pop your countermeasures and things like that and i was already like almost done with the mission by that point I was like what I don't need to countermeasure anything they are not hitting me at all I'm destroying everything <laughs> I was like blowing the cars up as they were coming in um and then we hop out of the tank we we like dock it at the tank dock at the camp and we hop out of the tank and again this would have been a great time for like what if V and Pan Am popped out and they're both naked that's kind of funny <laughs> you could have some fun with that if you were writing this in a fun way. And I pulled up the YouTube video to double-check and know, like, they both pop out fully clothed. And somehow, in all that chaos, they managed to slip their clothes back on in that tiny little tank. So, uh there you go. But, <laughs> um, they get out, and um, Pan Am is flustered. She was like, oh my god, you know, we, we were attacked. I didn't think they would ever attack. Like, that was... Um, I, you know Saul's gonna be so mad, and I can't believe this, and um, getting ready to like get into like a uh verbal sparring match with Saul, and Saul just walks up and is like, "Hey, I want you to lead the clan with me," and that's like the big reveal is that Saul has had a giant change of heart and realizes that his way is not always the best way, and that Pan Am should be co-leader of the family. And that he needs to listen to her more often. and That she has good ideas, and we have resolved the Saul conflict. They will never again fight. <laughs> I again. I. Think I mean, if, it feels entire, half because of everything else. Yeah, Saul's entire existence is just to provide Pan Am a foil when Pan Am needs a foil. <laughs> so there you go. Um, yeah, this that. I mean good for pan am happy for her in this moment but the scene did very little for me honestly yeah,
2: same.
1: anyways the vets con- congratulate her and everybody's having a good time and pan am wants to kind of walk and talk with us and uh we 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 head up to the bar to get either a beer or a lemonade which um i'm guessing you got a lemonade right ken are you yeah. still are you still straight edge v mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm i don't know why lemonade
2: is like the alcohol alternative for everyone in night city because this is like not this is not the first time somebody's offered me a lemonade and i was just like i mean i like lemonade it's fine but i was like why that specifically Uh,
1: i don't know you're you're in the middle of the desert nice refreshing lemon Mm, mm -hmm,
0: yeah it's a good time i'm so so i'm surprised they have lemons in night city Mm. yeah
1: (laughs) that's the thing they probably have lemon, like, syrup in the way that, like, grape artificial flavor is not what it oh, yeah. tastes like. So oh, it's no. probably, like, I artificial
2: lemon.
0: I bet, I, bet, I bet those are bad lemonades. I bet mm. those are
2: bad. But, but if, if it's all you've ever known, what, like, you know... If, if Night, City, Night City Fruit Juice is the only thing you've ever known.
1: I bet they're all, like, they probably all taste like the lemon uh, Powerades, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like a lemon-lime Powerade.
2: Damn.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I... I get down with a good lemon line Powerade, but, uh, anyways, pan Am's kind of talking to us, and we're like, you know, what? What's your plan for the future? What are you doing? And she's like, oh, you know, I'll figure it out. You know, now Saul's like, I'll figure it out with Saul rather than in spite of him, and I kind of like that line. Um, and and she brings up the idea of like, you know, V, you could come with us if you'd like. Like, you could join us if you want to. You don't have to live in Night City, and like everyone here would welcome you if you choose to. And one annoying thing is that we just do not get an option <laughs> to say yes uh, here because the game does not want you to yes. <laughs>
2: well, cause I, I, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, like, with Johnny being, like, the very immediate threat, I, I think, like, it makes sense for you to kind of be like, I would like to, but I can't right now. I, I think that, yeah. that works with Judy as well. I think just in the future, this is a possibility, but there is something we have to deal with right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing we have to deal with is the relic malfunction because, as is customary in all of our companion episodes up to this point, the relic malfunctions and knocks us out cold. Uh, and Pan Am does a sick bar hop and uh, is trying to help us out. When we come to, we're in a tent in a new place, and uh obviously time has passed because Pan Am has changed her wardrobe. But uh we're like, what's going on? You know, we can either like. Tell Pan Am is like seriously concerned about our state and what has happened. And we can either tell her the truth or just kind of brush it off. Uh, which obviously I told her the truth. I don't know why you wouldn't, after all that y'all have been through at this point. Uh, they really do. Uh, We'll we'll, we'll talk more about this in a second, but um, like, like Pan Am is like a pretty core character to the story at this point. So we tell her about what's going on and, and everything that's happened. And Pan Am is just immediately like, I am going to help you. I don't know how yet, but like Mm -hmm. we are going to help you. And you get like kind of a walking back to Pan Am's car where you see Saul and Mitch and they're all, you know, you're okay. You can hang out here if you want to like, you know, you don't have to leave right away. You're always welcome here. Um this is like their new camp. They have like moved locations since the attack. Uh and they're like you're always welcome and everybody's being super friendly as you're walking out and we reach the edge of the camp and Pan Am's just like, how can I help you? Like, please tell me like any way you need it. And you know, we can kind of be like, you know, you can't help us. Hellman was like part of, we can reveal that Hellman was part of that situation. Us trying to like solve that. Mm. And we can't um, take care of that anymore. Like that was a dead end after all. And um, Pan Am is just like, look, you know, whatever you need, the family is here to help you. Like we will do anything for you. And that's kind of where, the quest line leaves off but it really does like by the end of this i was like i really like pan am's character i Mm -hmm. really like the nomads i really like this quest line i really like just everything about this it feels like this route has been set up which obviously this is like not just important as a companion but important as uh as as like opening up a an ending path for Mm v and it's it's this moment of here is this option, this place that you can go where you are going to be able to live a different and potentially better life with people who already, like, love and accept V. And mm-hmm. there hasn't been a community like that in this game so far. Right. Um, everyone has been very out for themselves, and it's only been, like, individuals that you've been able to work with. And even in some of those situations, like with Judy, like, they, the game very quickly is like, oh, never mind, we killed a bunch of those characters off screen while you weren't looking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Uh, you can't just go live out your days helping Judy run the the bar anymore. Or Clouds, I think it was called. Um, you you know that's Judy's leaving, so that's that's something else. Uh, but I, I really like all the Pan Am Nomad stuff. Like uh-huh. by the end of it, I was just really remembering why I like this character, in spite of a lot of weirdness around right. her and her romance, and really dug this part of the story in particular. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, I think my final feelings at this point were I like Pan Am as, like, an inverse to my V because, like, her, you know, the long story short of her kind of, like, worldview is that home is a people, not a place. And so, like, she's like, you know, everything you've gone through in that city has been terrible for you. Like, you can come with us and, like, find this new way of living. But I think I, you know, in... I've been thinking about this a lot because, like, I'm in the process of, like, trying to move somewhere else, too. Like, there's been this sort of notion that a lot of people have said to me over, over my life is that, like, you know, home is not, like, a, a city that you're dreaming of. It is the people that you are, you know, like, the, the community that you have wherever you are. And, you know, I, I think to some degree that feels like kind of um, talking about those things in, a, like, a more mutually exclusive way. Because I think that's that been my takeaway right now is that, like, in spite of everything, Night City still feels like home to my street could be. And... This life as a nomad, we're just like traveling around, like, you know, you know, with people who do care about you and, you know, you do have this community there. But there's still like there's still something to like a place can feel like home, even if you're not like at this point in time, you know, Jackie's dead, Judy's leaving. I don't really have a family, quote unquote, in Night City at this moment, but it still feels like that's where I mm-hmm. belong right now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is kind of like the mindset that I've got as I continue to go to this game and as I ponder the ending of this game because, like, I... it, it By the time all this stuff is over, like, it's very appealing, the Nomad life. Like, she's making a lot of salient points here and Night City has not made a lot of great points in its defense as a place that I should stay at. But, you know, sometimes my home is a place and I'm hoping that I find people in the meantime that make it feel more so. Mm
0: yeah i mean that, that makes a lot of sense um i think you know for my v i went with the corpo intro path mm-hmm. um and i think that really sets up a v who's ready after all of this to bail mm-hmm. and yeah. to find a new life elsewhere and, and this just hits so well with that that it again feels like there is in here a much more scripted version of this game, more along the lines of The Witcher 3, where V is a more defined character, where where Pan Am is even more central. Mm -hmm. And, like, it... And, like, I think depending on which... what of the four types of V you want to play, I feel like if you're into that V, that would be a really interesting game to have. Um, And, yeah, I mean... I don't know if I have too much to add. I think y'all said it well in that Pan Am and this just really works and there's it this and some of the stuff at the ending, the only parts of the game that make me legitimately emotional right. mm-hmm. and it's feeling emotions beyond mild frustration or like broad video gamey enjoyment. It's like this is it feels like the A part of the game, or the part of the game that's written with a sort of personal intimacy. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like another person put something they cared about into this character and into this Mm storyline. And that is really, and that humanness really shines in contrast to how artificial the game feels Mm -hmm. beyond the standard video game artificiality. Right. So there are parts of the game that just feel very. Fake, sometimes on purpose, sometimes not on purpose, and this is is so refreshing in contrast to that. Right. Yeah. Like like am like this this last section in
1: particular is the moment where I feel like I most clearly glimpse what this came, what this game could have been over a broad, you know, over all of it if they had really like tried to make this the storytelling work throughout all of it instead of having all these artificial like gta style things injected into it like this is this is the storytelling that i feel like cyberpunk wants to have Mm -hmm. at multiple times it wants to have this idea of these extremely memorable characters and this feeling of a community and and growth and learning more about the world and having meaningful choices that feel like i love that you brought up the corpo stuff julie because like playing as corpo this time around rather than being nomad like i was last time i feel like corpo is again more rewarding in this section because it feels like your character has grown in this section it Mm -hmm. feels like your character is different and has learned a new outlook on life and i i just enjoy so much of this and it's to a point where like i have not booted cyberpunk back up yet and i'm kind of dreading going back into the city and going back to some of the stuff that i know i'm gonna have to do for for the river stuff and the side quest stuff because i i love this separate world that i've like glimpsed now and i know that there's not gonna be a lot of stuff like that moving forward (laughs) so um i i i'm hopeful to find some more stuff in this game but yeah it's for, for all the the shit we gave the pan am romance in particular especially on the judy mission uh the, the the judy episode and all that uh i and i do think it is like well-deserved shit i do think the the romance stuff just ends up feeling like a goofy add-on to all of this that that does not come to fruition in the way that it should have but the the nomad stuff ends up feeling really just wonderful and, and really mm-hmm. good and and like it's also so markedly different from everything else you do in this game that it does show like what the nomad stuff could have been and possibly what they could have done with other sections of this game to make them feel more distinct instead of feeling like they're part of this homogenous blob that is right. night city
2: yeah i mean we, we talked a lot about in the season it feels like the game is trying to do so much at once it, that a lot of it you know ends up feeling very seamy and very Uh, you know, inorganic in the way that, you know, a huge open-world video game made by hundreds of thousands of people is ultimately going to feel where, you know, when it gets in, like, when it's able to bring down that scale, it just always makes me think about, like, what this game could have been if it just scaled back. If, like, it didn't have to feel like it had to be everything to everybody and was, you know, just more concerned with, you know, really owning in on these characters that I think, you know, in spite of all the, the shit that we gave the Pan Am romance, primarily the sex scene and also, like, the the systems that it kind of unmasks that you don't necessarily see with Judy that, like, we talked about, um, like, no one's not, like, falling into all of that shit, like, it just, you know, there's something here, there's something that could have been, you know, a lot more meaningful and memorable and probably less glitch-ridden in the process of scaling down that, uh, I just constantly wonder about when we each time we finish one of these episodes, when we leave on some note where it's like, oh, there was there was some shit here, there was something worthwhile here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's a good note to end the Pan Am talk on. It was ultimately a wonderful little moment of of Night City that we are going to have to leave in the, in the rear view now as we go back to night city and uh and do more stuff there but as always we are normandy DFM, a retrospective podcast that has covered many different games and series up to this point mass effect dragon age jade empire the last of us and final fantasy 10 and now cyberpunk and if you want to support us as always you can head over to our Twitter page, you can follow us on Twitter.com slash Norm show. You can head to the podcatcher of your choice and drop us a review. Five stars only, or Ken will get mad at you. That's I don't make the rules, Ken does. <laughs> and uh you can head to patreon.com slash normdfm where you can back us and support us and all the things that we do. been getting a ton of support recently it's awesome thank you all so much at any level uh you get into the backer discord and get to hang out and chat and there's been a lot of cool discussion about cyberpunk that's been going on there it's been really nice to see folks get into it and chatting up their own experiences with this game at the next highest level you get these episodes as soon as ken is done editing them and even just looking at the production schedule we are still quite ahead of the free feed so if you're listening to this now thank you so much uh, you know, ahead of time thank you so much for uh for contributing and helping out and at the highest level you get your name shouted out on every episode when we record them and this episode that list is mercedes Cluis, meredith shane erickson darius pippins and genevieve barba thank you all so much for contributing and all that you do julie where can the folks at home find you and all the lovely things you do on the internet
2: well
0: um you can find me on Twitter at Julie Muncie 23 And um, yeah, most of what I do nowadays isn't public-facing, mm-hmm. but if there's any creative work that is public, you'll find it there, and you'll also find my wonderful, terrible tweets, so you can enjoy <laughs> that. We, we are
1: everyone that comes on Normandy FM, history of incredible shit posting. That's, that's really the legacy we leave. but thank you so much julie for coming on the show absolutely yeah folks i think we call it there but we'll see you next time to talk a little bit about river another companion character but until then for ken for julie for myself thank you so much for tuning in and hanging out we'll see you next time on normandy fm